0: I've got the great privilege of preaching this morning, and uh, I want to preach on hearing God. I preached last week a parable out of Luke, and I'm going to preach today also on a parable out of Luke, and uh, really excited about it looking forward to um, to sharing what I have to share. If we can just pray for a second, and then I'll dive straight into it. Lord, this is your word, and uh, I pray that you help me to approach you today with a sense of weightiness that it, um, that it deserves, Lord God. Invite your Holy Spirit to come now to anoint your word. I pray that it would be sown like the seed that I'm going to preach about today into hearts, into soil that is ready to receive it and uh, see a harvest that comes from the 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn please to Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to read um, part of that uh, text there and I'll read some more of it as we go along. The heading is the parable of the sower. It says, and when a great crowd, this is verse 4 of chapter 8, and when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell on good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said, as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, he says in verse 11, The seed is the word of God. And we see a, a picture of a, of a sower with seed in his hand. I'm going to just tell you to cover your eyes for a moment. And he just takes the seed and he just sows it like this. And he's, there's an extravagance to which he sows the seed like this. And he just sows. And uh, what's actually happening in this parable is what's happening today is that I am the, he says, a sower. And any one of us can be a sower of the seed. And today, I'm the sower of the seed. Everyone's picking up the seed from the floor. And um, and I'm the sower of the seed, and, and the, the sower just sows extravagantly. He doesn't go and examine the heart of each person that he's going to sow into. He just takes the seed, and, it's, and Jesus goes on. And he says, "And the seed is the word of God." And so we're clear about what he's talking about today. This is not confusing. It might have been confusing if he didn't explain it. I think we could have got there, but um, but it's clear for us because Jesus is telling us exactly what's going on. That the seed is the word that is sown by the preacher of the word and received by certain people into their hearts. And the seed that we're talking about isn't some dry dogma. It's not like that kind of the, the ten points that, that explain what justification is. This is the seed of a story about a God who has vanquished an enemy who has held those created in His image in slavery. We who were in slavery to sin condemned because of our own sinfulness have been rescued by the living God. That's what the seed is. It's a story about uh, creatures who have so um, turned their back on the Creator and yet in His infinite love, and there's no other way to describe His love, He has drawn us back into relationship through the, the greatest sacrifice we could ever understand or, or ever fathom and allows us to come in not just having been forgiven, because that would be one thing, that the punishment will be set aside but much more than that he comes to call us his children and allows us to come in and call him God the father the thing about this parable is that it's not so much about the preaching of the word of God and um, it's, it's clear here Jesus doesn't have much to say about the seed it's good seed I don't know if this is good seed or not but I know that this is good seed and he doesn't have much to say about the sower, the one that's preaching, and the other places that he does, and there's lots to be said about how we preach the Word of God. What he's talking about today is actually something else. is about how we receive the Word of God, how we hear. And uh, and the danger, and this is the key part, the danger of hearing, but not hearing. The danger of this, the Word of God coming like the seed came to you today, hitting you in the middle of your forehead, bouncing off your head, landing on the ground, and remaining there so that when you leave here today, the seed hasn't been um, deposited into your heart. In verse 18, to make this abundantly clear, Jesus says this, Take care how you hear. Take care how you hear. For the one who has, for the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. I believe with all my heart that I'm called to preach the Word of God. And I know that many of you God has um, set aside to teach His Word as well. Whether it's in a context like this, in a smaller group, whether it's in the context of your family or whatever it is, that God has anointed you to teach the Word. But this text is actually about another great calling that we have in relation to the Word of God. And that's the calling to hear the Word of God. And uh, this is something that God has been speaking about. I was I was having my devotion the other day, and I was just reading through the text um, it, in, the, in this chapter 8. It actually comes through again and again and again. He says um, in verse um, 7, no, 8. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, my I'm small writing, not such big eyes. He says, ears he is, he is to hear, let him hear. And in verse, throughout the parable, those who have heard, when they hear the word of God, and those who hear, hearing the word, they hold fast to it. Verse 18, take care how you hear. Jesus' mothers and brothers come to see him in the very next passage, and um, they say, that "Your mothers and brothers are outside." And he says, "Who's my mothers and brother? Brothers, my mother and brothers but those who um, hear the word of God and do it." And then, in um, and then we carry on. And so, this thing of hearing has been coming through again and again and again that we can we can go to the Word of God and read it. And it just bounces off us. We can sit here on a Friday when the word of God is being proclaimed and it can just bounce off us. We can be in another context where the word is being preached and it just bounces off. It doesn't produce something inside of us. It doesn't produce what God intends. And so we, uh, we need to pay attention to this. And the stakes are high. In this um, parable yeah, Jesus says um, of the, the, the first soil, the one that is hard-hearted, he says that uh, because the seed is stolen away... It says that they are they, they do not believe and are not saved, and uh, this the, the the story of salvation is one of profound importance. We're not talking about the better of two options, like like you've got two good choices, heaven and hell, and like heaven's better, but hell's like it's okay as a second best option. Actually, I spoke about this last week. Hell is the most awful and terrible um, destination we could ever go to. It's a, a place that we should. What, everything about it, but we know that it's a place of suffering. We know that it's a place where we go, when we choose to pay the penalty for our own sin instead of receiving the, the gift of forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And um, it's interesting that in John 3.17 John 3.16, we know that passage well, that for God so loved the world, He sent His only Son. And in John seventeen three seventeen, it says He didn't send His Son to condemn or He says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I didn't come to judge you. He says, cause would, in, in essence, he's saying that would be rhetorical. You can't judge somebody that's already judged. You can't condemn somebody that's already condemned. We stand without Christ condemned. When we don't have him in our life. there's not like there's some things we've got to do to fall into the wrong side. We are on the wrong side. We are dead without Christ. And so that's why Christ comes not to condemn, but to save us. And so the stakes could not be higher. In uh, terms of our hearing and receiving, and as I'll preach about in two weeks' time, and our proclaiming of the word as well. And um, but but today I want to speak about how we how we as believers, and even if you are here today as an unbeliever, as you come in today, maybe you are on a spiritual journey. Maybe you've decided that God is like, I I don't believe He exists. I don't believe He's real, and maybe you're sitting here today thinking, well, "What is this guy?" Talking about, who does he think he is throwing popcorn seeds at me without baking them first? At least, at least cook them before you throw them. And, um, but, uh, but I want to tell you that the Word of God wants to come into your heart. There's something that He wants to do today. Jesus speaks of four different types of soil. There's the hearing that hardly gets started. And uh, the Word is gone before we've even left the, the hall today. There's the hearing that lasts until, until there's hard times in life. And then it just disappears, and uh, we turn away from God to other things. There's a carrying that flourishes, actually seems to be life there, until cares and riches choke it, as the parable says, and, and then it disappears as well. And then there's the final kind of hearing, which, is, um, which comes into a good heart. The Bible says an honest and a good heart, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but there's bears fruit. We have a hard heart, we have a shallow heart, we have a cluttered heart, and we have a good heart. And I want to speak about those about how we can do each of those things at different seasons in our lives in terms of how we prepare ourselves for when we come under the word. Number one, the hard heart. In verse twelve it says it says the one the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. In the picture he says it's it's like seed that's scattered on a path, and you kind of get this picture of a section next to the field, perhaps, where, they, where the people have just, maybe laborers come from different fields, and they walk past, and they've trampled it down until it's hard. And the seed gets scattered on there, and these, and these people are walking, and they, they're not looking for the seeds. Like like if the seed was precious as you're walking along, if it was money, we would stop, and we'd go, Whoa, oh, that's cool, and we'd be picking up seed like this. But they just walk along, and they trample, it. it's regarded as worthless. It's nothing as it lands upon you the heart uh, upon the floor and I believe that's when we treat the word of God with contempt we treat it as if it's not something really valuable we, we've, we've not understood what God has given us with his word There's a, in some traditional churches they pray a prayer before they read the word and they pray a prayer after they read the word something like basically thank you God for your word and then they read it and they say thank you God for your word they, they acknowledge the importance of the word and there is a certain ease with which we function. We 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 strip away formality from our on the way that we conduct ourselves. We've got to be careful in the process that we don't diminish the value of what is important to God. I had a friend of mine in this church. One time, I would preach and I would take the Bible like this and I would drop it on the floor after I've read it like this. And he came to me the one day and he said, um, "He says you're offending me when you do this." And uh, it'd be easy to laugh at him and go, "Well, I mean, it's just, I mean." It, I know what the Bible is, but this is just a book. It's just a it's just a printout of the pieces of paper. There's nothing inherently holy about the paper. But I could also listen to what he's saying and understand that actually what he's calling me to is in my task as a preacher of the Word is to honor this Word in the way that it should be honored. And for us as hearers of the Word, to honor it in the way that it should be honored as well. The thing about the path is that it's unprotected. When I, If I've got a field and I've got my my, my seed is put out, and I've ploughed it, and I've put fertiliser on. I'm not going to let anybody just walk across that. I'm going to make sure that it's fenced off. If, if people start walking on my on my soil, my soil like that, and say, "Hey, buddy, just back off. This is my this is my um, field." here. you don't just come walking on it. You say, "Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was a path." And it's kind of like we've got to be careful who's who's trampling across our our heart. What are we doing with this this word that God sows to us? We've got a, a book full of prophetic words. Um, over the church, and we guard those things. We, we don't just cast them aside. We, we go through, Lord, what are you still to fulfill? We're prophetic words over our lives. Linda was in bed last night. Ethan was um, lying in bed with us last night before we were falling asleep. And Linda was reading one of the prophetic words that he had received over him last night. It's, it's precious. We treat it as something that's valuable. And I think the hardest of heart is the person that is, because they've allowed their heart to be trampled, because they haven't protected, they haven't put a boundary around their heart, they've become unteachable. We, we find these things. We become, we become full of pride. We become familiar with the things of God. I was saying to Matt the other day that one of the dangers. I've read this Bible. I don't know how many times. I've got a pretty good memory, so I can I can remember scripture easily. It's easy for me just to skip over when I'm reading a book and they quote a scripture. It's easy for me to just skip over things. We can become familiar. With the things of God. And, and how many times have you sat there and heard someone preach? And how many times have you heard something so completely new that you left thinking, wow, that was something I've never heard before. Instead what happens is Paul writes and Peter writes and says, I want to remind you of these things again. The Word of God comes again and again and again into our lives and we become familiar. We become unteachable. We come to the point where whatever. And we no longer allow the seed to settle in to produce the harvest. It just sits on the surface, and before we know it, the devil has come and stolen that word from us. The second one is a stony heart. And this is the kind of ground that has a thin layer of soil on the top, but right underneath it is a stone. And so the seed finds, finds its space there, but it just can't get any roots. It, it goes into the ground. There's this, there's this, there's this shallow heart. And uh, in verse 13, he says this, The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while and in the time of testing, fall away. Friends, I believe these people are not born again. They have Because it says there they have no roots. And um, there's, a, there's an emotional response to the Word of God. And we can do that both with a message of salvation, and maybe you've shared the Gospel with some people and you've seen that response. I, Linda and I have had that on a number of occasions and I can think of one in particular, this friend of mine, was at a really low, low point in his life, and we got to spend some time with them, and i shared the gospel with him and he and he immediately responded to it and said yes I, this is what i need this is what i want but within, within weeks it had fallen away it was it was received in joy and the, but, but no roots could be found my brother was like that as well got saved like I, I think i've told you before radically like the situation was radical not his salvation but he comes in puts his hand and says i do i want to receive christ and um, came and lived in our home for three weeks. He was reading his Bible. There was this great sense of excitement, and then it just died away into nothing. And um, that's, that's when we, um, we haven't wrestled with the Word of God. We haven't asked the Holy Spirit to take that Word and say, Lord, what changes need to happen? What are you actually saying to me? We just like the sound of it, like a, like a, a beautiful tune in our ears. It comes in for a moment, but then fades away again. That was fun, but it doesn't last. I think it was Nat King Cole who sang um, the song that goes, Too many moonlight kisses, cool in the warmth of the sun. Lots of passionate nights night when the lights are dim and the music's playing and there's kiss, kiss, kiss all the night long. But when the morning comes and you see her in the light, it's another story completely. And uh, they haven't embraced the truth. Charles Virgin tells the story, and it's a great picture of a little girl that goes into her parents' garden, and she picks the flowers off like this. And then she plants the flowers into the soil. And she says, Daddy, look how beautiful my garden is. And you know that there's no roots. It looks beautiful for a moment. But the sun's going to come, the flowers will wither, and the wind will blow them away. The third heart is the weedy heart, or or the crowded heart, or the thorny heart. Verse 14 says, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature and I think this is the fractured heart or the divided heart it's a heart that, that half wants Jesus and half wants something else it's like Jesus you're going to have this part of my life but you you can't have this part I, I spoke last week about those that they want to see Jesus as saviour but not as lord like I want the salvation I just don't want the king do you know I mean it's like can I have can I have Jesus light like like um, can I have Jesus without any sugar kind of thing and um there's an unwillingness to break from the world. And uh, the result is that the fruit appears on the tree, but never becomes ripe. It never becomes something that anybody can eat. It produces, we are measured by our fruit. If you, if we belong to Christ, we will produce fruit, not unripe fruit, not immature fruit. And these are people where there's, like, actually when you look at them, you think, wow, there's great potential in this person. There's there's something there, like, like when the seed's sown, it, it immediately grows up, and you think, wow, what, what has God got in store for this person? But they just never come to maturity. You know people like this, eh? There's people who say to them, wow, that guy or that lady's got great potential. And for the first couple of years, that's a compliment. But then, after time, if, after five or ten years of great potential, that's actually an insult now, because we've got to somehow come into this potential at some point in our lives. And he goes on and he says that the reason why this, this potential never gets realized is because the cares or anxieties of life, the, um, the riches or wealth or the pleasures of this world have choked them. Imagine that. This beautiful seed of God is sown into us. This thing springs up and it's the potential there to come into full life. And, and the devil comes and he uses these things to choke us, choke the very life out of what God has intended for us. It, it, anxiety is one of those things where it seems like, surely that's okay. Because, because I mean, I'm anxious because I'm, I'm not in control. I know I'm not in control. And actually, the reason why people get anxious is because they think they are in control. The reason why we're anxious is because we haven't handed over control to Jesus. How many times does Jesus command us not to be anxious? This is not a suggestion. He doesn't come and go, you know what would be a, a good idea? You can try this. Don't try this. If it works for you, use it. If it doesn't work... Just try not to be anxious. He says, do not be anxious. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, nothing. They say, well, Paul, surely there's some things we should be anxious about. He says, no, no. He says, you are not in control. What I want you to do is when anxiety comes in, I want you to stop. And I want you to think about all the things that you can be grateful for. Then I want you to, to take what you're anxious about and bring it before God. Present your petitions to Him. And then God will come and He will... He will set a sentry over your heart and over your mind so that that anxiety will not be able to overwhelm you. And we, we sit here and the Word of God wants to come and produce something in our life. You, you hear the testimonies about people saying, um, come, go into the nations, and you're thinking about, yeah, if only you knew what my financial situation was like. If only you knew what my marriage was like. I can't even, I can't even hear this message that's coming today because there's so much anxiety in my heart. And, it, and it, it chokes the life out of the seed that God sows. What about riches and wealth? There's so many warnings about it. And to be quite honest, almost everybody in this hall, not everybody, but almost everybody in this hall is rich compared to most of the people on the face of the earth today. We have more than what we could imagine. So I'm not pointing fingers at the person with the Ferrari, or the, because actually it's easy for us to fall into this category as well. But the, the, what happens with wealth is we begin to think we don't need God. We can take care of ourselves. We had um, an American lady come to South Africa once when we were living there. And uh, South Africa has got a few things to be anxious about. So when I drive up to a traffic light in South Africa, um, I will always leave a little bit of space. So if someone comes to break into my car, I can move my car forwards or backwards. As I drive up, I just look around to see where my cell phone and my wallet are. Because it's likely this brick will go through a window and somebody will grab something. So you think this way. I mean... You wouldn't think about that in Dubai. In fact, you can leave your wallet on top of your car while you're driving around in Dubai. But she said that She says, in America, we don't have to worry about anything. Everything we need is there. Everything we want is around us. It's accessible. She says, we can go whole weeks at a time without even thinking about God. But in this place, she says, I'm thinking about God all the time. But please, God, be with me. Protect me as I go out. God, watch over me. Um, even your provision, Lord, be, uh, when we were in South Africa this well, recently now, I've been praying, hey, God, won't you break through in this nation? Won't you fulfill the promises? Everywhere I'm going, I, uh, when I see poverty or I see inequality or I, I see injustice, I'm praying, actually, God, this is not okay. Won't you do so? We're not going to surrender to this. And there's something about not being in a place where we're so kind of chilled and relaxed and we've got everything we need. we actually, the, our heart becomes cluttered. God can't get in there. And then, obviously, pleasures. The word there is actually the word we derive the word hedonism from. The, the pursuit of pleasure, of, of um, fun and of, of um, sensual indulgence and the lusts of our eyes and the lusts of the flesh. that actually crowd us away. And the word of God comes as beautiful, precious and wonderful word in it. And it's so extravagantly it lands in our heart. The, the soil is, is, is good soil, but these things begin to choke it and crush it. And that great and wonderful um, potential for harvest is is removed. These are all set against the good heart. In verse 15, it says, As for for that in the good soil, they are those who carry the word hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And in the parallel passage in Matthew, it tells us how abundant that fruit is. One hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold fruit. I love that. I mean, we're not talking about it. When when we say a hundredfold, that's not a hundred percent return. That's 100 times 100% return. We're talking about, like if you ran a business and you could get a 100-fold return on your money, sign me up. I'm in, baby. You know what I mean? I'll buy some shares in that business. We're talking about like what is, what is abundant and extravagant beyond what you can ever imagine, that God can take the seed and sow it like this, and it can land in your heart and produce a fruit that is, that is beyond your understanding of how wonderful it is interesting in, in Luke chapter 8 between the parable of the soils and the statement Jesus makes so about be careful how you care there's two verses verses 16 and 17 that are a parable about the lamp and so it says you don't hide a lamp you don't put a lamp under a jar you, you, you leave it out so it can, can be and it's obviously speaking about us and how our lives are supposed to reflect who God is I think part of what Jesus is saying is that as the seed of God into our life, and as it bears fruit, we will actually shine like a light in the lost world. And sometimes we wonder, why am I not shining? Because maybe that seed is not producing the fruit, bearing the fruit that it ought to be bearing in our lives. And so listening is a high calling, because as a result of hearing and listening, of receiving and believing and walking in obedience, our, uh, we see that our salvation hangs on it. Verse 12, uh, sorry, verse 12, our fruitfulness hangs on it. The spread of the light into the world hangs upon it. Verses 16 and 17. And even the glory of God hangs upon how we hear the word of God. Because it says in Matthew five sixteen, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I came across this passage a while ago from Malachi chapter And God speaking to the priests about how they should be preaching and teaching the word of God. Now we know um, I'm not a priest, and you guys are whatever non priests are, like saints. We are all priests before God. But we there there are people that are set aside, have the responsibility to teach and to preach the word of God. And listen to what it says. He says to the priests, he says, "For the lips of the priests should God knowledge." And the message is, it's the job of the priest. Dowry or or don't make it popular, but actually teach the truth. That's that's the job of the preacher. But he then goes on to speak about the job of the hearer. He says, and it's and I have this pattern, and it's the job of the people to seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. See, the Christ follower is not meant to be a detached kite. You can imagine flying out your kite up this, and the kite's going up this, and it's catching the wind and it's flying like this in the wind with a tail going like this and then you just cut the string. And if there's enough wind it'll take that kite and it'll just it'll go like, oh, like crazy like if It's like so free and, and really reaching the heights. But before long we know what happens to kites without strings. It's going to begin to do this and fly down and get caught in the left electrical lines or in a tree or something like that and not be able to fly at all. See, God has intended that our lives should be constrained by the Word of God. And so we fly with this, with the hands of the master. With a string tied to our lives. And there's times where we feel like, Hey oh, Lord, I want to go now. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna be released. And at the right time, he just unclips the wheel like this, and the string unwinds, and we like this, and we catch that same wind, and at the right moment he locks it again and draws the string torn together so that we are howled in that place and we stay apart. And when the next wind comes, he releases it again and lets us go again. And God's word comes to us. Because if we need the Word of God in our lives. We need to be adjusted. We need to be corrected. We need to be encouraged. We need to be uplifted. We need the string of God's Word to hold us. In Matthew 16, verse 25, Jesus says this. If you're trying to hang on to your life, you're trying to control your life. If you are trying to control your life, you will lose it. But if you give up control of your life, for my sake, you will save it. There's something about surrendering ourselves to God that allows us to truly live like we've never imagined before. So I want to take the last few minutes to talk about how we prepare ourselves to come on a Friday to hear the Word of God. And I want to start by talking to you, if you're a parent, as to how you can prepare your children to come on to Friday to receive the Word of God. And then I want to speak about us as adults, how we can prepare ourselves to receive it. So parents of kids, first of all, have regular devotions through the week with your kids. One of the things we have got to teach our children is that God is not God only on Friday. He's God every day of the week. And somehow, and it doesn't have to be long, we used to, with our kids when they were, we were younger, we would have five minutes in the morning. We would read a scripture, we would talk about it. Often it was just me or Linda talking about it. The kids didn't say too much. And then we would pray. And every single morning we pray. God is a part of our lives every single day. So when they arrive on the Friday, this is not Friday's thing. This is not some weekend special that takes place. This is not like I have sweets on a Saturday. No, this is this is your life. This is what you're coming to. Prepare your kids the night before for church. Remind them that tomorrow's church. Pray with them about what, is, what God's going to speak to them. Have some sense of expectation about them coming. See, God, what are, you, what are you going to do tomorrow in my, my child's life? They come with that expectation in their hearts as well. Get them to bed in time. You know, and this it would apply to some of us as well. Um, for us, Thursday night, um, maybe it's a bit easier, I don't know. But if you, one of those people, and look, some people, I know Chris, for example, got off of an airplane and came from Hong Kong and came straight here. Yeah, he's still awake, I've got to give him credit for that. But um, some people work night shifts and they've got an option, they arrive and they kind of, there's a special grace, I hope, for you. But for the rest of us that have time, be careful that you don't watch movies until 2 in the morning before you come through and then wonder why you find it so difficult to receive the Word of God, why while your, while your heart just seems trampled. Be organized, parents. When you come in the morning, um, your kids should be refreshed. You, there shouldn't be chaos and stress. You don't want be running out the house at the last minute, grabbing Johnny by his collar, throwing him into the car. Turn I don't think anybody does that because people are walking so late now. It's like, whatever. Go, which is not 15 minutes before church starts. Okay, so you preferably want to have a good idea of how long it takes to get there. Start saying to your family, We're leaving at 15, we're leaving at 10, we're leaving at 5, we're leaving. And then everybody can get into the car in time. When you finish church on a Friday, ask your children questions about what went on in Sunday school. Linda sends out a, a flyer each month, term, month, that tells you what you come up and you say, what did you learn today? And they'll always go, I don't know. And you say, didn't you learn about Joshua? I do know, we learned about Joshua. What did you learn about it? Ask the questions, because it's important. Help them to take that and apply it to their own lives. Maybe if you've got um, really particularly good kids, the tryhards, as Ethan would call them, maybe they'll just come out and just pour forth and say, this is what I learned, and I'm going to start doing this. And, but they get encouraged because they've interacted with you around the Word. Teach your kids how to worship Listen to this with freedom and reverence. I, I so many things about organized religion that I'm glad are not a part of our lives, but there are some things that we lose in the freedoms we gain as well. So we don't have holy water at our door. So when you come in, you, you know some of the churches come and you tap the holy water like this, and then you cross yourself and you kind of pray. And, and uh, the one good thing about like that is there's something, there's some, rever- there's, there's reverence. And in our in our casualness, we can lose some of that reverence. We can, we can walk in here and it's, hey, Bob, hey, Steve, how you doing? Drinking out coffee, kind of walk around right leg, walk in. Jesus is being worshipped. Angels are, are bowing in their knees with us before the king, and, and people are having a conversation about their lawn in the back corner or something like that. We're going to teach our kids what it means to come into the presence of God. This place is not holy. It's a warehouse, let's be honest. Yeah? It's not like this was erected for the glory of God or anything like that. But it becomes holy when we the bush becomes holy because God's in the bush that's on fire. He got to take it with your shoes because you're in a holy place. And so we're going to teach our children. This isn't the playground like a kindergarten. You don't run around and kick things and, and just treat this place with God. Don't Don't allow your kids. The time of worship is not a time for your kids to be wrestling with other kids. It's not a time for them to be on their iPads. And I know how easy and tempting that is. But what about teaching our kids? Actually, God's in saying this is easy, this is a breeze, anyone can do it. Well, anyone can do it. We can do it. With the help of the Holy Spirit teaching us what it means to treat with reverence the moment that we come in. And if we can't treat the worship with reverence, how can we possibly treat the coming of the Word with reverence? Lastly, for us, don't let your heart be trampled. You wouldn't let just anybody walk across your field or your garden. so you got to watch who's walking across your heart. I'm talking about, um, X-rated things that we might be watching. Um, uh, <laughs> what you watch in a week prepares your heart. What you allow to come through your ears and your mind prepares your heart. I was, um, I'm amazed. I mean, I've music and I, and I go and listen to some of these songs, and it's just f bombs, f bombs, f bombs, more f bombs, and f bombs, and f bombs, and then um, uh, abuse. The heck is going on here? Hearts have been prepared. But not just by that kind of stuff, but by when we listen to the wrong things. Don't just let anybody walk across your heart. And we don't get the same volume in our lives to everybody. It's easy today to access teaching from anywhere. But there's only one group of people that are teaching into your life that will give an account for your souls. And those are that that preach from this pulpit here, and particularly the elders that preach from this pulpit here, will give an account souls. So when I preach this word, I try and see your faces as I'm preparing, because this word's going to come and I must give an account. I'm one of those that give an account of your soul. You ultimately give an account. It's not like you belong to anything like that. But God has said, Rob, I'm calling you to be a teacher of the word. Now you take this seriously. The guy that's on the podcast doesn't have to do that. And so you to be careful what tramples your heart so that when the word comes from here that you're still able to receive it. Secondly, it relates to this is protect or, or fence off the seed. Don't allow it to be stolen by disregarding it. So much of the seed is lying on the floor now that I, that I threw out. It's actually a picture, often, of what happens on a Friday Yet i and coming will preach, and some of you are, like, like, some of you were. I think it was, because I was bending over, picking up seeds like that. Some of you are like if You're, like, hungry for the seed and you take it and you, and you protect it. Like and some are like, whatever, it's on the floor. It was fun. It washed over me. It was bounced with my head or whatever. And now, Daniel, and uh, he was an alcoholic, chain smoking, black belt karate guy that got saved in South Africa. And um, he got saved, he got saved into, I think it was, a Baptist church. And when the Baptist pastor would come out of the pulpit, he said, I was preaching, and he walked past him, Daddy would grab his arm like this. Can you imagine the poor guy? <laughs> What's he going to Cow! Like this. And uh, he said to him, Can I have your notes? And Daddy would go, so it happen so he gave him his notes and then the next week he grabbed him again like this and said can I have your notes the third week he just as he came down he had the notes ready for him and he gave him like this and then he said to him what do you do with him he told us what do you do he would go home and he would lay the notes on the floor like this and he would kneel and he said God teach me this he take that word and he would he said God plant it into my heart don't allow this to just and the wonderful thing is that this chain smoking alcoholic that has planted churches into 76 nations because he took the word of God seriously. Thirdly, we need humility and teachableness. Don't come with a critical spirit. John 4.44 says, the prophet has no honor in his hometown. You can't be sitting there with a sin going, okay, Rob, okay, bless me. Come try. Try, try to get your word into my heart. Come on, come on. Let's see what you can do. I'm not, I'm not so impressed by you, South Africans. What do they know about life? Look at this guy. Say, some issues I'm not sure what you can do about. this. other churches you can go and visit, I suppose. But if you do not trust the preaching that comes from this pulpit, you need to go somewhere else. I think you can trust it, and I, I trust it when I invite other people into this pulpit to preach. I open my heart to receive it. If you can't, then you've got to find a place where you can trust what is being sown. You can't be critical. You can't be um, um, unwilling to that says seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the lord of hosts that word messenger is the word angel or teacher used in, in scripture and god sends his word to come like that into our hearts fourthly wrestle with the word of god until it's planted don't be like that little girl that collects the flowers during the sermon and then goes home and plants them in the garden and it looks pretty for a few days and then it becomes nothing it's got no roots test it go to the word say lord if, he's, if what he's saying is true, I want to I take a hold of this, and I want you to take a hold of me. Somebody once said, we don't interpret scripture, it interprets us. And so as the word of God comes, one well, of the questions that you ask and thing is, Lord, what do I need to change? What adjustments need to be made here? And I, I'm convinced that you cannot do this if you don't take time with what the revelation that God has brought. One truth to the next like this, like this. Learn that, learn that, learn that, learn that, learn that, learn that. learn that. But how much do we apply? Rather take one thing and say, Lord, I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to eat it and eat it this week. And I'm going to plant it into my heart and I'm going to read about it. And I'm going to discuss it in the small groups. And uh, we went away to Mozambique and Gene was in the car with us the so one day for five hours as we drove from Harare to wherever we were going, M- uh, Malawi and he sat in that second seat, and he asked me questions all day long. I loved it, because he was trying to take the Word of God and push it into his heart, like, like, Lord, what are you wanting to do with this? And we need to to move from information to revelation, from revelation to conviction, and from conviction to radical obedience. We can just occupy these seats for the next five years, and we can't. We just sit here. You sit under the teaching, and well, that was pretty good, and he entertained us, and it was did our duty, we were at church, I wanted to have a puncher this week because God loves me again because I did what I needed to do. It was wrong theology, instead of understanding actually God wants to change us and enlarge us and bring us into our inheritance. And remember what I said, that as we come in, that as we bear fruit, we shine for the light of the gospel and God's name is glorified. Lastly, is I want you to unclutter your heart. God has said the kingdom of God is a priority in our life. And um, Again familiar with the things of God, that it becomes like I'll try and get there most of the time. there just isn't that sense of priority around it? 1 Chronicles 29, verse 19, David has collected all the offerings for the temple that's going to be built by his son Solomon. And when it arrives, he's like, bags, man, and he prays over his son and he says this give my son Solomon, listen to this, an uncluttered, an undivided, uh, uh, or in this verse, an uncluttered and focused heart. So that he can obey what you command. Live by your directions and counsel. And carry through with building the temple for which I have provided. You see, everything is here to build, with what, build what God wants to build in your life. What will stop it is a cluttered heart. It's a heart that's, that's divided. It's full of so many other things. And uh, it's, in the, it's in the little decisions that make this work. When Matthew was younger, he was an avid little soccer player as well. And their soccer team used to practice during the week and play on a Sunday, of course, because that's Jesus' day. Let's play all our sports on Jesus' day. And so Matthew loved playing soccer. He's a, he's a team boy. He likes, I think you would play any sport wrong if you're in a team. And, and their game was on a Sunday. And uh, I said to him, you can't play on a Sunday because that's God's day. And um, we didn't have an evening meeting, so it wasn't like you could be in the morning. Plus, my job kind of made it difficult for me to go with anywhere and there were times it was really difficult for Matthew, the fact that he couldn't play the sport. It was like, and, and you feel like as a parent, at times like, am I denying my son something? I am. I'm denying him this thing, but I'm giving him this thing. See, when we teach our children what it means to live with an uncuffed heart, I said, God says you can play any time through the other days of the week. You can go to practice. I'll take you every Tuesday, every Thursday. We'll be there every time. But this one day, God says, you set aside. And uh, Matthew was, sometimes it seems like hard for him, but the coach would say, Matt, you're going to be around the Sunday. He goes, I can't play on the Sunday. But what time's the game, coach? Because if it was after a certain time, He, after church, he could play. The 9 in the morning, coach, I'm not going to be able to be there. Coach, I'm not going to be able to be there. Coach, I'm not going to be able to be there. He carried it because he learned what it meant to have an unemployed heart and give our kids those things. we are a to church because it's the word of God coming over recreation and entertainment even over family time. I know that some people are going throw rocks at me. You're already stabbing me with, with eyeballs and things like that. But, but the Word of God is the most important thing to be sown into our lives. When I was, uh, in, in Luke chapter 8, it finishes with a story about Jesus calming the storm. And it says, throughout Luke, you read it, it goes, they were, amazed, they were 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 amazed. And then in Luke chapter 8, it says, in this last part it says, and they were afraid and amazed. And there's something about being amazed by Jesus that's different to being amazed and afraid. There's a reverence that comes in. And I spoke already about how we're going to teach our kids reverence. Friends, we've got to relearn what it means to be reverent. I wrote this in my journal some time ago. I said, Reverence. Now I wrote the great danger for us to become we've been following Christ for some time is that we become with it. I have seen incredible acts of God, even being used by God, to see a deaf or mute girl, a deaf and mute girl healed. I wept before God, he's overwhelmed me in times of worship, and I've been awestruck by the magnificence of this gospel in moments. But I've also been bored and familiar and flippant with the things of God. Luke has already shown us many instances where the disciples in the crowd have been amazed by Jesus. In Luke 8, account of Jesus calming, calming the storm. He takes them from amazement, which can entertain us, to amazement plus fear, which equals reverence. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Who is this? They knew it was Jesus. But it wasn't just, Jesus the Rabbi. It wasn't just Jesus the Prophet. They were coming to the realization that this was Jesus who is God. And I wrote to the end of my journal, Lord, help us to see you in you. Salt my amazement with a reverent fear and awe, so that I might live with the right kind of wonder and amazement before you. Why not you stand with me? I was talking to my mom yesterday, she's seventy six, my dad's eighty six, he fell into a ditch yesterday. He's just had two operations. They wanted to cut his leg off because of gangrene. They managed to save his leg and then he's home and been getting better and they've left open ditch and he fell into it and he's back to hospital again. He's on the I've got a return ticket book because I don't think it's long before my dad's gonna go and be with the Lord so that I'm ready to go to be with him when it needs to happen. I was talking to my mom yesterday and she was she was there's some anxiety in a voice around what's going to come in the life to come, and I encourage her again about the wonder of the gospel. This is not like a hope this happens. I, I'm really, yeah, I'm really holding thumbs that there is a heaven. You know turn I mean? in and, and it doesn't turn out that it's this or the next thing or whatever else is. This is an absolute confidence in the in uh, for positive mind. say, I know in my Noah in the place where you know that. You God, then friends, let him be God. Like Elijah said to Israel when they were wavering between Baal and, and God himself, said, How long will you waver between the two options? If Baal is God, serve him. If the Lord, if Yahweh is God, then serve him. And the way that we treat the word of God, the way that we take his word spoken to us and allow that seed to be planted in us is an indication of the way that we see him. My exhortation to you today, if you are not yet a follower of Christ is to take this message seriously. To take your future seriously. To come and speak to somebody. To grab the Bible. To read it. To have the sufficient humility to bend your knee and say God I don't know you. I'm not even sure you're out there but if you are I want to meet you. And God will honor that prayer of humility if you pray. But for us who are the followers of Christ let's stop messing in the shallow waters enter in. they've got turn this motley crew, and I I mean, some of you are pretty good looking, but it's, it's a motley crew we've got going here. Do you know what I mean? We're you know, we nobodies. Let God take us and turn us into an army that can transform this city, transform this nation, and transform the nations of the world. Let's not just occupy time, clean water while we're here. Let's allow the Lord to come in and do something. And that doesn't start with one major big commitment. It starts with a little step that calling you to make today. And then tomorrow. It's taking this seed and saying, okay God, come plant it. And then one little seed produces a hundred seeds. That get sown out. And if those hundred produce a hundred. And those hundred produce a hundred. We can literally, literally friends, change the world. And like the first disciples, it was said of them. So they turned the world upside down. Won't you pray with me please? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We submit ourselves to it today. We thank Your Holy Spirit that it is Your sword, this Word. We thank You that it comes. It divides between soul and spirit, between soulless, fleshly things and spiritual things, Lord God. It, 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 um, it's able to clarity. It's a life unto our feet. And it is, as we heard today, it's a seed that produces a harvest. That is our salvation, our fruitfulness, our life, and Your glory. Our I pray this congregation, those present here today, and those who will be in these seats in the weeks and months ahead, Lord God, that we would be good, honest hearts, Lord God. Good, honest soil that will receive your word, that you might accomplish your purpose to us. I ask these things in the name of our Lord and of our Savior, the one and only Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.